Oh, you guys. I've been, I, I've been better. I've been better. Uh, I was telling them last hour that uh, yesterday I woke up and I was like, man, I just don't feel right. I feel, feel a little off, but uh, I'm a little off anyway. So uh, just kind of dealt with it and then uh, went to bed and woke up the wee hours of this morning and the, uh, the fever had set in and the chills and all that stuff. I was like, this is going to be great because... Uh, the, the preaching task is, it's not something you generally are able to do just on like a 20-minute notice, you know. So I felt bad calling any of our staff pastors on such short notice say, hey, I've gotten worse overnight. So I'm here, and uh, we're going to try and kick off this Believe series, uh, do something I usually don't do, probably preach short today because... Uh, <laughs> uh. All right. I uh, sat down next to Shelly and said this was a really bad idea. I way overestimated how I'd be feeling this morning. But uh, if you do have your Bibles, uh, let's get started here. John chapter 18, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's one in the pew in front of you. Page 904 is where this text is. Uh, And what we're doing is we're wrapping up the gospel of John. We have been preaching through uh, John's gospel, or I have been preaching through John's gospel for about three years now. Uh, We're going to wrap it up here uh, as we come into the Easter season. And I thought it was very appropriate that we would culminate this study with a series called Believe, because if you'll flip over, if you found your place in John 18 to John 20, John tells us the purpose or the goal for which he wrote his gospel account of the life and the ministry and the work of Jesus. John chapter 20, verse 30, he says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may, what? Believe, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so John tells us, hey, I wrote this so that you would believe. And so as we take these next couple of months and we look at the culmination of Jesus' life, his work and his ministry, which is ultimately his crucifixion and then his resurrection from the dead, it's very appropriate that we would couch this in the context of the word believe. And, you know, the word believe, as I got into doing research and was looking uh, at this series and doing some preparation, it's gotten a lot of traction in our culture today. We apply the word believe to a whole lot of things. Uh, We lived in Florida for a few years. We're able to go and visit SeaWorld a couple of times. Uh, One of the years that we were going to SeaWorld, their show with the the killer whales uh, was called Believe. And so they had a little video set up of a little boy believing about swimming in the ocean with the whales, and it kind of segued into the trainers doing stuff. And so Believe was their big theme for the year. Uh, Believe is often applied to sports teams. You know, professional sports teams, college teams, when the season begins, man, they show the videos of the players and the great plays from last season. And we say, we believe, you know, we believe this is going to be the season. And now there are two teams, right, who are still believing uh, as we approach the Super Bowl next week. The others are like, yeah, we're going to believe next year uh, for that. It's kind of more like wishful thinking. But, you know, we apply believe to a lot of things. And it's interesting how we take this word believe and we actually convey two completely different ideologies with it. One is, 
If you believe and then you work hard, you believe you can do this, the power of positive thinking, and you work and you give yourself to something, then good things will happen. So really believe is just about you working hard toward a goal that you really want to achieve. Well, the other end of the spectrum on believe is that you believe something and you really don't have to do anything at all. And good things will happen, good things will come your way. You know, we talk about kids with, with, uh, with Santa Claus and the tooth fairy. You know, just believe and then you're going to get, you know, the goods. Although, have you noticed how the, the whole Santa Claus thing hadn't, hadn't panned out real well, hadn't been enough, so we've had to add the elf on the shelf now. You know, belief in Santa wasn't strong enough, so now we've got the creepy elf on the shelf thing. Look, I grew up with Chucky generation, all right? So this idea of a doll that moves around at night just doesn't, I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> that would wig me out, you know, if you would do that. So not there. But this idea of believe, of, of, you know, you believe and you give yourself to something or you believe and you do nothing has actually crept its way into how we approach our faith, right? Well, if you believe in Jesus then here's what he leads you to do. And it's about your actions and it fleshes itself out and you you talk a certain way, you dress a certain way, you think a certain way, you hold a certain moral value. If you believe and then work and do these things, that is evidence of your belief. But you know, the problem with that is that we always measure ourselves. Do I believe enough? Am I being good enough? Am I thinking pure enough thoughts? Am I, you know, doing the right thing? So believing where belief is our work and our effort is a constant works-based issue where are we ever going to achieve the end goal? But then the other side of that coin is to say, oh, I, I believe. I believed when I was a kid. I was at church camp when I prayed the prayer or VBS and I prayed a prayer to trust Jesus or I did, I, I believed then and I'm good. Punched my ticket, Signed my certificate. See, I've got it in my Bible. They got my certificate right here from where I trusted Jesus was baptized. You know, I'm good. I've got my certificate right here. And so we believed then as a point in time, but there's been no evidence of true salvation conversion after that, but we still expect all the good things to come our way. So you see how our secular ideas of believe have crept into our views about God and how we relate to him. But the question is, are those views biblical? What does the Bible say about believing? Well, that's what we're going to look at in these next couple of months as we think about the idea of believe. And the truth of the matter is, believe is rooted in a very important question that we're going to see asked today by a secular, unbelieving, self-preserving Roman governor by the name of Pilate. John 18, you may remember, just kind of give you a little... uh, context and history here, Jesus has been betrayed. He's been arrested. He was taken to the home of Caiaphas, the ex-priest. And they were trying to find a reason to be able to charge Jesus to have him killed because the religious leaders didn't want him preaching and teaching uh, and leading people to know more about God. They didn't like how Jesus was doing things, so they wanted to take him out of the picture. Well, they couldn't come up with an accusation, and so their next effort was to take and give Jesus to Pilate, hoping that Pilate would be able to figure out a way to have Jesus executed because they wanted him out of the scene. Well, in John 18, Jesus uh, and Pilate are having some conversations, and we're going to come back and pick up parts of this, but I want you to look uh, at verse 37 because the basic idea that the Jewish leaders could give Pilate as to why Jesus should die was to say Jesus claimed to be a king. And here's the thing, there was one king, 
He was the Caesar who ruled over all of Rome. And if you claimed to be a king and were trying to usurp his power, his authority, they killed you. Kings were very um, nervous. They were very jealous of their throne and of their rule. And uh, so they wanted no one making a claim to be a king other than themselves. And so the Jews said, this Jesus guy is claiming to be a king. And so Pilate is now asking Jesus, is this true? Are you really a king? If so, we're going to have to deal with that. So he says in verse 37, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Now, Jesus didn't say he came to be a king. He said, I came for this purpose to bear witness to the truth. And look at what Jesus says happens in response to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So Jesus said, I came to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who believes this truth, who responds to this truth, obeys and listens to my voice. That they do what I tell them to do because they've believed the truth. And then Pilate asked this very important question, which is going to be the foundation of this series on belief. Pilate said to him, verse 38, what is truth? What is truth? You see, if we're going to give our lives to something... We want to know what's true, what's right, and what's good because we want to order our lives according to that truth. And so Pilate asked this question, what is truth? And you see, this question is foundational for what we believe because what we believe is true determines what we do, right? What we believe is true determines what we do. If you believe that human life is important then you defend the cause of human life and you do what you can to help other human beings. If you don't believe human life is valuable, then you respond in a different way. If you believe that the chief end or the chief goal of life is to have stuff, if you bought into the idea of materialism and and the pursuit of the American dream of, of just having more toys than the next person, If you believe that to be the chief end of man, then what you do falls in line with that belief. So this question of truth is very, very important for us to answer. And so that's what I want us to spend some time talking about today. What is truth? You see, I think there are uh, about three varying schools of thought that answer the question, what is truth? Uh, and I've been started reading the book over Christmas break, Unfinished, by Richard Stearns, uh, who is the chief, the CEO of World Vision, human relief organization. And he had a great chapter related to this idea of what is truth and these ideas of the schools of thought as to the foundation and where we draw from the source of truth that we believe or don't believe. And the first school of thought, and it's just a really small number of people in the world who would ever even try and argue this foundation for truth is this, that there is no such thing as truth. There's no truth. Uh, There are no absolutes in the world. Our existence is just meaningless, without purpose, just randomness uh, for which we are here. And as I was reading, reading this book uh, by, by Dr. Stearns, I had never heard it phrased in such a way as uh, from a columnist whose name is Coquette. And she had received a letter from a reader 
that says this, how do I accept that I won't ever be great or outstanding? I always thought I had talent and maybe I'm not bad, but a great many people are far better. I can't stop thinking this and it's causing me great anxiety. So this reader sends in this question to say, I just feel like I'm average. I want to be great. I want to do awesome things, you know, with my life and accomplish stuff. But I just feel like I'm average and it bothers me. It causes me anxiety. So now this columnist writing for an online newspaper responds to how she thinks her reader needs to deal with his idea of being just mediocre in life. Here's what she says. Kill your ego because nothing you do will ever matter. We are seven billion tiny flecks of talking meat stuck to an unremarkable ball hurtling through space in an unimaginably vast universe for no particular reason. Now that's a fine how do you do, right? <laughs> it, gets, it gets, continues on. There is no difference between kings and cripples, my friend. We're all the same hodgepodge of primordial goo and the pursuit of greatness is a fool's errand. You know, I meant to do some research to see if there was an increase of people jumping off the bridge the day after this actually posted. I'm like, that really makes you want to jump out of bed and tackle each and every day, doesn't it? You know, we're, we're just a tiny walking meat fleck, you know, on this planet with, with no purpose, you know, to anything at all. But here's the thing. Like I said, very few will actually ever even try to argue this because as human beings, we have to make some assumptions on what is good and right and important. And even this, uh, this editor does that because here's her word of advice to this reader. Pursue happiness instead. So you see, she defines an end goal. It's happiness is what life is about. Find peace in your insignificance and just let your anxiety go. Learn to savor the likely truth that the sum total of human achievement won't even register in the grand scheme. So you might as well just enjoy whatever talents you have. Use them to make yourself and others happy and set aside any desire to be great or outstanding. So you see, there's this idea that there is no such thing as truth. Although it's, again, ironic that the people who posit there's no such thing as absolute truth try to tell you that in the term that their statement that there is no such thing as true is actually true. You see the irony of that? There's no such thing as true, and that statement that I just made is true. So there's the irony of that. And even she said, well, you've got to have something, so just let it be happiness, that which you pursue. And again, very few people can live an existence in which we think that there is no meaning or purpose in life. We assume certain things to be right and good and of value. And so we fill in those blanks. So not many people really come from the school of thought of there is no absolute truth. Most people then shift to the second way that we approach truth, which is this, I decide truth. I'm the determiner of what's right and of what's wrong, what's true, what is good for me and my pursuit, my goals, my aims of life. I am the author of my own story. My existence, my meaning, my purpose is determined by me. And I will make decisions. I will have a grid, a framework, a filter through which I make decisions to accomplish what I believe is good and right and noble and of value in life. 
And you see, the Bible tells us that mankind, human beings, would pick up this philosophy. 2 Timothy 4 says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. See, we reject truth. And we'll talk about it here in a minute why we reject truth. But we don't want to hear truth. And so we make up our own path and we wander and we follow into these myths. And so persons and individuals who live by the I decide truth mantra, the philosophy of life is, I do what's right for me. What's right for me is right for me, even though it may not be right for you. And very often they don't try to project onto you their their goals their aims or light of life their absolutes they just simply say hey this is me this is what i'm doing you do what you're going to do i'm going to do what i'm going to do and you'll find many of these people to be selfless good role models good moral people in life but we basically say i'm in charge of my own story let me ask you this as we think about this idea of i'm the one in control Meaning and purpose in life are left up to me. And it's a very practical question. How's that working out for you? How's that work out for us as human beings that we are in control of our own destiny? We determine what's important and we strive toward those things and we move to that end. How's that work out for us? Are you perfectly happy? Perfectly content? Perfectly fulfilled? Or do you sometimes have those moments where you feel sorrow, you feel empty, you feel hopeless? The exterior may look good, but you wrestle with, is this all there is? I thought this would make me happy, would bring this fulfillment, this contentment, it would would fill in this longing, this gaping hole that's in my existence. I thought this was going to be it. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a hobby. It could be any number of things. I thought this was going to be it. And I arrived and I achieved and I got it. I attained it. But it still feels like something's lacking. Something's missing. Like I'm not really there. You see, that's the problem when we become the determiner, the decider of truth, or we feel like we're living our lives according to the story that we want to write. Because we were created not to write our own story, not to live out our own journeys individually, but we're a part of God's story, which is the third source, the third answer for Pilate's question, what is truth? And that is that God decides truth. Someone, something outside of us determines what is good, what is right, what is of value. And that person is God himself. And listen to what Jesus said about his life, his existence, and his purpose. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, in this, we basically say, I believe, comes down to believe, I believe that God is in control of all things. I believe that God created me and set me on this earth 
to accomplish and fulfill not my goals, not my plans, not my aims, but God set me on this earth to accomplish his purposes, his plans, his goals in life. And if we believe that, then we must respond to that belief. And how do we respond to that belief? If we believe that God set us here, God designed us, God created us, what should our response be? What do we believe about God in response to that? You know, as I think about the fact of, okay, I can either say I'm in charge of my own story and I'm writing my own journey and I'm going to work it out myself. And again, that hasn't always worked out. It's never worked out well for me, to be honest. Or I can think that I'm a part of a grand design that God set in motion. Which of those two gives me greater hope and greater confidence? Well, when I look at the world around me and I see the details and I see the meticulous nature with which God designed this creation that we're a part of, you know, it's not like Coquette that we're, you know, a a walking meat fleck on this planet. Life is not that random. Do you realize life is not that random? Life is designed, life is ordered. There appears, even from the most secular viewpoint, to be something beyond us that designed and created the story that we're a part of. I was reading an article a while back called Jungle Doctors. And what it talks about is how animals in the animal kingdom in and of themselves know how to treat various ailments and things that they're dealing with. I mean, it talked about when they eat dirt, you know, what that does for their digestive system, eating dirt when they're not feeling well. It talked about certain leaves that they eat that kill parasites within them. The Smithsonian Institute wrote an article. So it's, we're talking the, the Smithsonian Institute, you know, it's secular, has no Christian worldview or bias to it whatsoever, was writing an article related to how animals do this in nature, giving their whole, you know, uh, naturalistic spin on this. But one of the researchers noted about an African elephant that was pregnant. So this elephant would travel no more than three miles each and every day, eating and doing whatever elephants do would get up in the morning, go and eat, go and bathe, go and eat some more, go and take a nap, go and eat some more, go back home. You know, it just, it, they just wanted no more than three miles. Now, this elephant uh, spent about a year in pregnancy. So in the last two weeks, two weeks before its baby was born, one morning this elephant got up and trekked 17 miles one way. 17-mile trip to go and eat leaves off of a specific tree. I forget the name of the tree. I couldn't pronounce it even if I'd written it down, all right? It was just some tree that it ate. And she was like, what in the world? Why did this elephant all of a sudden get up, travel all this distance, and eat leaves off of this tree? And then she gave birth within two weeks of doing that. Well, in the research, she went and began to look at this tree, grabbed the leaves, began to ask locals in the area, and come to find out that local women in the, the nearby village, when they were carrying babies and when it came time for them to deliver these women would go and they would pull the leaves off of this tree crush them up boil them in a tea drink it and there was a herb within that leaf that was thought to help induce and bring on the labor and delivery process 
Now, how random is that, that just, boom, all of a sudden it appears that we have this existence in which elephants know to travel these huge distances to eat leaves that help induce and bring about labor and delivery. We don't live in a random world of tiny talking meat flecks just walking around. There is a designer, there is a creator who set us here for a very specific purpose and reason. So what we must ask ourselves is, what are we going to do in response to that truth? What is truth? The truth is, you're either in control of your own destiny or God has a plan and purpose for your life. What are you going to do? What are you going to believe about that truth? My prayer for you is that you would believe in Christ. And our belief in Christ carries with it two very important ramifications. Number one, believing in Christ is the only way to salvation. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We must believe in Christ for salvation. And here's the thing about belief in the Bible. It's not a passive belief like we talked about with, you know, Santa Claus and the tooth fairy. Because you know what? We're going to be disappointed in those things. My youngest had lost a tooth here several months ago and put it under his pillow for the whole, you know, tooth fairy thing to happen. Well, the tooth fairy got busy apparently and didn't come for a night and didn't come for two nights and didn't come for three nights. And so he's like, what's going on? You know, does the tooth fairy not like me? You know, what's the scoop here? And so we're like, oh yeah, we'll text the tooth fairy tonight, you know, and let them know. And so we made a big deal about texting the tooth fairy. And my oldest, I I, kind of leaned, leaned over as we got, I was like, don't let the tooth fairy forget to come tonight, you know. And so I, I you know, needed some help in that. And so sure enough, at bedtime, the older one stays up at later. He's like, oh, don't forget, the tooth fairy needs to come tonight. So we slipped in. We did the whole deal. And at breakfast the next morning, he's sitting there with his little brother. He goes, hey, guess what? I saw the tooth fairy last night. Zip it, you know. And so, you know, just believing and nothing happens. We don't have to do it. We just believe and then we sit here and all these good things happen. It's not what the Bible teaches, particularly when it comes to salvation. Belief is not a passive thing. Belief, belief is active. It's engaging. Listen to what Jesus said in, in uh, uh, what, Mark. Get my eyeballs focusing here, Sorry. <laughs> Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. You see, belief in the Bible brings with it a response. But it's not a response to your good deeds. It's not a response of your works and what you do. The response to believing the gospel in the Bible is that you turn away from deciding the issue of truth in your own life. It's to realize I'm not writing my own story. I'm not in control of these things. I'm turning away from the idea that I'm the ruler of my life and I'm giving Jesus control and authority and dominion in my life. And so if we are going to be saved and receive the gift of salvation according to the Bible, we must believe 
that Christ came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross in, as our substitute in our place, took our sins upon him, and that he was resurrected from the dead. That is the, what the Bible says, that we must believe that message. And we believe that message by repenting of our sins and receiving the gift of salvation through Christ. So as we think of Pilate's, answer, or Pilate's question, what is truth? Truth is the fact that Jesus came and died for you so that you could be made right with God, and that is the only way that you can be made right with God. That's why belief is so important. It's how you're justified and you're made right with God. The second thing about belief, though, is this. Belief in Christ is what keeps our salvation and matures our faith. Belief in Christ keeps our salvation. We are secure in salvation because of our belief in Christ and is what matures our faith. You know, we very often think of salvation as a point in time, and salvation is a point in time. There was a point in time when we believed in Christ and we went from being enemies of God to children of God. But so very often, we try and focus on that point, that moment of salvation. I believed then, it's over, it's done, I took care of it then, now I'm living in faith, or I'm living in works that are evidenced of that. And we think of belief as that point in time, and then we leave belief behind, and we live in something else. But I want us to see that belief is not something that's just a point in time. Belief is the air we breathe in our relationship and our walk with Christ. Because I think one of the greatest mistakes that parents make in leading their children to Christ is so very often to see their children come to know Christ as Savior and say, they gave their life to Christ. They were baptized. They're good. You know, we, we took care of that task. We checked that box. Now we can sit back and go on autopilot for our child for the rest of their life. Now they've believed and they're good to go. But I can't tell you the number of children that I've seen grow into their teen years and into adulthood who look back and say, man, I'm not real sure if I knew what I was doing when I was a child. I didn't understand sin and grace. Or, or they look back and they say, was I sincere enough when I prayed that prayer? Was I sorrowful enough? Did I express enough guilt? And when we view that, that belief as a point in time and we leave it there, time goes on and our memories get foggy. We kind of lose some of the details of that, and we're like, well, well, was my belief strong enough then? Well, belief isn't just a past action. Belief is a present reality in our lives. Because here's the thing, our salvation today in this moment is kept secure by Jesus' finished work on the cross. Do you understand that? Your salvation is kept secure because of Jesus' work on the cross, not because of your actions and your behaviors today. You see, we're quick to jump into this thing in, in Christian circles a lot anymore where we say, oh, yeah, you've trusted Christ. Well, if you've trusted him, now these things will be evidenced in your life. This fruit will be working itself out in how you behave and how you think and how you talk and, and how you give and how you do all of these sort of things. And we move to the evidence of our salvation it's not believing any longer. Now it's the works. It's the fruit that we produce. But here's the danger in that. We're always asking, is it enough? Is it enough? 
Am I giving enough? Am I serving enough? Am I praying enough? Am I, you know, reading my Bible enough? Am I enough of this? Am I enough of that? It's about, is it ever enough? But you see, our salvation is kept not because of the fruit that's born in our lives, and, and fruit should be born in our lives. Our salvation is kept secure because of Jesus' work on the cross and what he did for us some 2,000 years ago. And so I always tell parents, particularly when they lead their children to Christ, I'm like, look, your child may have just trusted Christ, but now your real work begins in the role of discipling your child and teaching them to know and walk with Christ. Because here's what I've seen happen over and over again in two different ways. This, this issue came up last week in our new members class. Someone brought up the term and asked about, you know, knowing if our salvation is secure and use the term backsliding. Is, is a person really saved or have they just, you know, backslidden? Backsliding is an old Baptist term, I think, just to mean that you, you're not living like you should and you're either walking in a, in a season of sin and you truly are a Christian uh, and you, you're just not where you need to be. And so I told him this. This is what I've seen, seen happen, what I believe the Bible teaches, that when you come to know Christ, you believe in him for salvation, and you begin to walk in a lifestyle of belief and faith and maturity in Christ. If you truly did not know Christ, and you didn't sufficiently believe in him in, in the gospel message for salvation, but you're growing and you're walking in him, as you are near him through his word and the power of the Holy Spirit connected to uh, local life of a church, God will reveal to you that you are genuinely and truly not saved so that you will make that decision and give your life to him. That's why it's so important, parents, that your children walk with Christ if they've made decisions for him at a young age so that Christ can reveal to them that they're not truly saved. But the other side of that is this. If a person is genuinely, truly saved, believed in Christ, and they walk in the fullness of Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit, as we're supposed to, in a state of believing in Christ for salvation, and we begin to wander, we begin to stray and get caught up in sin patterns, sin habits in our life, if we're walking with Christ, he's going to bring conviction to our lives that we're living in sin, we're not living according to his word and draw us back to him in a close relationship where we forsake our sin, we repent of it and we return to Christ. But do you see the constant in both of those scenarios, whether a person is convicted that they're not truly saved or they're, they're convicted that they're not living as they should, the constant of that is that they continue walking with Christ believing in him daily. This is why Jesus tells us that we are to take up our cross daily and die to ourselves. Remember this whole truth thing? I decide truth. No, we don't. We die to ourselves each day that we're not the determiners of truth. God determines truth in our life and the direction in which we go. And so it's very important for us to understand that belief is not just a point in time. Belief is the air of our spiritual life that we breathe in day in and day out as we surrender and commit ourselves more fully to Christ. So as we think of this question this morning, what is truth? I want to stop there and ask you, how 
have you answered that question? What is the truth by which you are living your life? Is it that God has placed you here, created you, designed you, given you everything that you need to accomplish and fulfill his purposes? Or have you been living for self? Just call it what it is. You've been living for self. You've been on the throne. You've been in the driver's seat. This is what it's about. This is what I want to achieve. But maybe today the Holy Spirit of God says, yeah, how's that working out for you? And you go, oh, yeah. It doesn't always work out well for me when I think I'm in control. I'm the one who's in charge. So maybe today your decision needs to be to surrender your life to Christ, to repent from self, turn to Christ and receive him for salvation. But believer who's here today, maybe what God has helped you begin to recognize is that you believed in the past but aren't exercising that belief for continued growth and maturity for Christ in the present. You see, here was Pilate's thing. Pilate was going to do what was best for Pilate. He wanted to know if Jesus was a king because if he thought Jesus was a king who was more powerful than Caesar, guess where Pilate was going to align himself? He was going to align himself with the most powerful king because he wanted more dominion, more authority, more power uh, for himself. You know, that's not unlike us, that we try and find the best route for ourselves that's going to help us get ahead or accomplish what we feel like we want to do. But you see, the Bible calls us to die to self, to live in Christ. And believer, that's a lifelong process. It's a journey that never ends for us. So as we come to our time of response this morning, as we look ahead at this idea of believe, we're going to see a lot of responses to the idea of truth. Pilate asked, what is truth? And we're going to see whether or not Pilate believed the truth of Jesus Christ. little spoiler alert here, he didn't. But as we come through the end of John's gospel, we're also going to see some people who did believe in the truth of Jesus Christ as God's son. And we're going to see how their lives were radically different, how they responded in faith and obedience to that truth of Jesus Christ in their lives. So as we go through, I want you to try to find yourself in these stories, in the lives of these people. Where are you when it comes to believing in Christ for the truth of salvation and growing in him? Is there more of your life to be surrendered to him? More that need more where you need to die to yourself to live in Christ? If so, would you today come and surrender yourself, lay yourself at the feet of Christ, and say, I want to bear witness to the truth of Christ? Jesus said, Those who believe in him, those who respond to truth, that they obey his voice. Are we living in obedience to that voice today? Let's pray.